Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a ministry of Foothills Christian Church in Boise, Idaho. I'm Jesse Mayer, your host, and today we will be digging into Philippians chapter 3 as we discover more biblical principles on happiness. Do you want to be happy? To live in joy? Do you know what the real joy is all about and where it comes from? These are the things we're digging into as we study the book of Philippians. So let's welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. It's always so funny how you draw my first name out, Douglas Peak. It's like a baseball announcer. Like, or no, I want you to feel like a boxer. <laughs> oh, that's right. I want you to. I'm come a pugilist from... <laughs> coming out doing battle with the principles you are the, of the world. You are the salty pastor. <laughs> Pretty salty. Yes, it's so good to have all of you today joining us. Appreciate you. Appreciate you subscribing to our YouTube channel, also to this podcast, giving it five star review if you're on uh, iTunes. Uh, if you're on Spotify or another way, there's uh, not an opportunity to do that. But so many people are sharing this with their friends. And I want to say thank you to all of you who are doing that because our audience is really growing. And the impact of what God wants to do, I think, is growing exponentially. Absolutely. And today, let's dive into our, this is our Tuesday bu Biblical Studies Day. Yes. Um, so we're going to be continuing our study on happiness in the book of Philippians. Mm -hmm. So why don't you give us a recap of what we've learned so far in the first two chapters of Philippians? Well, we, so far we discovered a couple basic principles, chapter one, and that is that happiness in your life isn't by changing your mood, it's developing an attitude of joy. And it's your baseline attitude about life. And you do this by defining your reason for existence. And Paul says that Jesus is ultimately the only real reason for existence. And that when you find your reason for existence in him, then you now have the capacity to develop an attitude of joy. That doesn't mean you will, but now the potential is there. And then he says in chapter two, the first half, follow the example of Jesus Christ and follow uh, him by growing your humility. He says, have the same attitude as Christ. And what we really dug into, well, what is humility and how does that make you more happy? And then the second half was we really need to take our relationship with Jesus seriously and start eliminating negative things that draw our baseline attitude of joy down. And then today in chapter three, he kind of goes in an interesting direction and he talks about how to build your confidence. That was not what I was expecting on today's <laughs> podcast. Why is uh, confidence uh, so important in growing a really strong baseline for our joy? Well, the first reason why is because uh, Paul said so in the Bible. It's inspired. Paul, Paul said so, <laughs> and it came from God, so do it. So I'm starting there. You know, I take that as a given. Okay, uh, for some yes, reason, sir. Paul went in this direction, so it must mean something very important. Uh, second, though, research has shown over and over again an incredibly powerful link, a causal link between confidence and living in joy. People who are confident live differently. Okay, they do different things. They approach life differently. People who are confident because they live different li uh, increase their joy. Their baseline attitude of joy goes up. And what that does is that reinforces their confidence. So it's, it's intertwined and it kind of uh, builds on each other. Well, confidence is such a weird thing, especially mm -hmm. in this day and age. Like, I feel like in some ways, in some mm -hmm. aspects of my life, I'm really confident. I, mm -hmm. you know, I walk in, take command, and then there's some other areas that <laughs> I'm not so confident. You wouldn't in. care to elaborate on any of those probably at all. Not probably not in a public yeah. setting. <laughs> Too much self-disclosure. Not gonna <laughs> happen. Uh, 
Well, I, I think that the the direct link the direct link, excuse me, between confidence and happiness is something that we ought to explore because I think everybody has that in their own life. We're confident in some areas, and as we get older, we get more confident in more areas. Uh, but there's always areas where we don't feel confident, you know, and I think that's really important. So, what is the link? What influences confidence? Um, and as children, we begin to develop confidence, not because people tell us we're great, which is really the mistake of the secular self-esteem movement. If you tell kids that they're great, you give them a ribbon for any reason, awards. participation awards, then their self-esteem is going to go up. Well, this is found to be faulty and not true. Because in actuality, confidence is developed as a child when you achieve something, you see. So the old adage that uh, dads used to say, you know, if you're going to do a job, do it right and slow down and get it done. You know, work until it's done. That actually builds confidence in people, particularly kids. However, as you grow into a young adult and then into an adult and start to mature, you realize that achievement cannot actually be confidence. It's how you start to develop it, but it's actually something a little different than just achievement. So uh, let's go through what Paul wrote. Let's see what he's teaching and kind of dig into it a little bit. So I'll start by pointing out in verse one, you'll notice and that chapter three, of chapter three. Yeah. yeah, chapter three. I'm sorry. Verse one. It says this, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So now we see him returning to the thing. This is all about joy. And you should, your joy can come from the Lord. He says this, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So our joy is in the Lord, always and forever. We need to be reminded of that, and we need to safeguard it. Okay, so then he goes, Verse two, this is really interesting. A lot of people don't know that Paul talks this way, but notice what he says. Watch out for those dirty dogs. Dirty dogs. (laughs) Watch out for those dogs, those evil doers, those mutilators of the flesh. Well, who in the world is he talking about now? He's intense here. He's pretty intense. being so joyful. Yeah, he's throwing some pretty serious shade. What's he doing? Well, first of all, he's talking about a group of people that were traveling behind him. They were preaching Jesus, but then they would say, but in order to follow Jesus and receive his grace, you have to get circumcised, okay, and become a full Jew. And Paul is saying, no, we already resolved that at the first council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. That's not true. And so these people went up to Philippi, which was predominantly Romans, almost all Gentiles. And so these people said, yeah, you think you know Jesus, but you really don't. So it really rattled their confidence uh, of who they were now in Christ. And so Paul really goes after him and says, hey, they're dirty dogs, mutilators of the flesh. All right. And then he says, it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh. So what he's saying here now is that there will always be people who can undermine your confidence. And what they do is they get you to doubt your relationship with Jesus and who you truly are in him. And that's a really important thing. So he's really going after them. Is it safe to say that maybe Paul was the first salty pastor? Like, was he the first one? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. a little aggressive? 
Well, you could say he was a second because, because I think Jesus was pretty salty. Jesus was pretty salty, <laughs> but Paul followed in his footsteps pretty, pretty Yes, well. he did. We should follow the example of Christ in all things. <laughs> so it's true that all human beings can be affected by the attitudes of others. We know yeah, this. Yes. If we want to live a life in joy, we need to be aware that people can impact our sense of confidence. So the way we keep people from undermining our own confidence is basically by reinforcing our identity. Our identity mm-hmm, exactly. Having that um, really strong block that's not so easily yeah, shaken, in, shaken or, or influenced. influenced right? yeah. mm-hmm. And we can keep our confidence strong by not allowing those types of people to influence who we are in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if we allow them to undermine our identity in Christ, then our confidence can also be undermined. Exactly. And there, you, you pointed out the links that how it kind of works because in the next verses, what Paul does is he launches into a description of confidence and where you should put your confidence. If you put it in the wrong thing, then it is easy for people to undermine your confidence. And this will result in a lower baseline attitude of joy. So look at what he says in verse four, because he talks about them and how they're trying to say, well, you're not the true circumcised. You're not truly with Jesus. And Paul says, look, we are the true circumcision, even though you haven't been physically circumcised, you're the true people who are following Jesus and know him. And then verse four, he says, though I myself has reason for more confidence or for such confidence, he's saying, I have reason to have more confidence than these people who are disturbing your faith. He goes, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, look at me. I was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. So Paul's saying, no one has more of a blue blood pedigree than I do when it comes to finding confidence in the law or, or confidence in achievement. He goes, I did better than, I played that game and I was better at it than anybody Back in his days, the Saul, right? Yeah, I was the Michael Jordan of Judaism. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you ever heard that, right? No, but I like it. It's a good phrase. I mean, Michael's still a pretty strong competitor. Yeah, he is, you know. So so Paul's just basically saying, I've accomplished all this in life. I was the number one, but these things didn't make me a confident person. And a happy person or a joy-filled person. Okay. And so what they're doing uh, is not right. So it seems the principle here is that certain things we place our confidence in have a negative impact in our life. Why is that? Well, because some things convince us we deserve something. So if we put confidence in our ability to achieve, it creates an attitude of entitlement. So, you know, Paul was like, I've got to achieve, 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 right? And he says that I, I, I was fault, faultless in all of these things, but I wasn't a happy person. I wasn't a joy-filled person. I wasn't a free person. And part of that is, is I think, because he felt he deserved something. He was trying to earn God's favor in his life. And so what's really interesting is, is that he was deceived and he came to see the light. And, you know, deception appeals to us on the basis of what we have done. And it gives us a sense that we deserve something out of this. However, what this does ultimately is undermine our baseline attitude of joy. And we never realize that that's what's happening because it actually distracts us from the ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is where can true authentic confidence come from and how does my confidence not get tripped up? 
why am I? Why, so, so if I really want to be confident in all things, just not in some things and other things, but in everything, in, in verse seven is where he really starts to say, and he goes, here's how I found this confidence. Whatever were gains to me, meaning all these things I achieved, I now consider loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is more, I consider everything, meaning everything I have achieved, a loss because of the surpassing worth or the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what he's saying is my confidence doesn't come from what I achieve or achieved. It comes from a relationship with Jesus, who's my Lord. He goes, because in the end, it was for his sake that I've lost everything. But you know what? I consider them garbage. And Paul's using really strong, salty language here. In Greek, the word garbage is skubalon. And what that referred to is in Rome, what they did is they were known for their indoor plumbing and their public toilets and bathhouses. Right. And so what they would do is they would divert a river and they would, uh, out of little stone tiles, is they would make a trough. And the water would just constantly flow through this little tiny trough. And then they put a toilet seat on top of it. So you go in, you go to the bathroom, and immediately just, it would just wash out, okay? And it, it always washed out over a stone pit. They would have a pit somewhere. And so what happens is then the water would go through that stone pit, right? And it would matriculate down and go back into uh, the soil. But all of the hard stuff would get caught on top. Okay, and that was called scubalon. So he's using very strong language. (laughs) Yeah, he's saying, you know, I consider it a whole bunch of, yeah, (laughs) scubalon. So that's what he's saying. He says, I consider it scubalon, that I may gain Christ. In other words, I don't want what I achieve and what I do to get in between my relationship with Jesus and gaining him so that I can be found in him. And that is a very important phrase because this is all about identity. I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or what I achieve, but that which is through faith in him. A righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So my faith opens the door for God to put the righteousness of Jesus upon me. He bestows it on me. Verse 10 says, I want to know Jesus. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. And so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. So the ultimate goal for Paul that allowed him to be the most confident person in the world, it seemed like, was to know Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And what happens is if we try to use our accomplishments to build our confidence, it will distract us from this primary goal. So what really strikes me with Paul's words is that he's focusing on where we really derive our core identity as people, which yes. is something you've been talking about a lot. is mm-hmm. like, who are you and what do you believe about yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And if we try and build an identity around our own accomplishments, this can deceive us into thinking we deserve something in our life. Um, and this ends up undermining our confidence, which then results in our lower baseline. It all comes mm-hmm. back to that baseline of joy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really well said. You encapsulated it very well. Paul's making the point that where you find 
uh, how you build and how you grow your identity as a human being makes a massive difference on whether you are going to be a confident person. And confidence is critical to happiness, critical to a high baseline attitude of joy. A person with false confidence is a person whose baseline drops. It diminishes in go down. That's why I'm always saying one of the most important things about you is what you believe, you know, truly core in your core. And that's critical. So once a person makes this decision to build their identity in Christ and Christ alone, they'll see greater confidence in life. Yeah. Not only that, but in every, in, they will continue to increase their confidence as they grow in their relationship with Jesus. Because notice Paul's next words as he describes how we can easily grow our confidence. Verse 12, he goes on to say this, not to the, I have already obtained this, meaning I have not already obtained the fullness of knowing Jesus. So there's more about Jesus I want to know. There's more about my relationship with him, more faith that I want to develop in knowing him. So he says, I have not obtained that goal yet, or I have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And this is a very interesting phraseology, but what he's really saying is Jesus Christ reached out and he took a hold of me through the power of the resurrection. Um, through his crucifixion, he was able to reach out in love and grab a hold of me in love. And now I want to grab a hold of that love that Christ has for me. See, because of his love for me, now it's my love for Jesus. And he says, verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Now, right here is where he's going to tell us what stops us from reaching out and grabbing a hold of this love that Jesus has grabbed a hold of us with. Okay. And listen to what he says. I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. So the one thing he states that kind of sticks out to me in this, this last verse um, is forgetting what lies behind. Mm -hmm. What do you, why do you think this is critical to being a more confident person forgetting what lies behind? Well, I think, you know, as Paul said, this is the one thing he's doing. And this is because when we remember our past and we carry our past, we then ha find it difficult to believe that Jesus Christ loves us so much. He'd come to the earth. He'd die on the cross for our sins to bestow God's righteousness upon us. So we have trouble believing that. And like I said, what you believe is one of the most important things uh about you. So how does this math work in, in your spirit? Well, first and foremost, one of the most unique things about being a human being is that we're moral. You know, C.S. Lewis points out, as well as many uh, social anthropologists, every group of human beings in the world that's ever existed had a morality. Now, what's interesting is atheists say uh, they focus on the particulars. And they say, well, because they think it's okay here and they think it's okay here and that's okay there, you know, like in this culture, it's okay to steal your, 
your your tribal guy's wife but over here it's not you know it's adultery. so that's why you can't you know it doesn't mean anything but c.s lewis points out he goes well but what you're not doing is you're not looking back far enough and that is is that why is there a morality and number two why is in every moral code a good and a bad a right and a wrong righteousness versus evil and he said so so the thing is the one thing about human beings is we're moral creatures and when we violate our own moral code we feel guilty so all human beings have this in common we feel guilty and that is one of the most interesting psychological effects because guilt if left unresolved always turns into regret or it turns into shame so this is well you know documented and study every single person who has researched the phenomena will always say over and over again is that you must forget in order to move forward however no one has any good idea or strategy in how they can do this i believe it was carl Jung said this uh the psychologist he was a contemporary of freud and he said you know when it comes right down to it he said 80 percent of my clients would be emotionally and mentally healthy if i could just convince them how to forgive themselves so how, how to resolve guilt. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So, so they all know what the problem, psychologists know what the problem is. And psychologists have, have come up with different ways to deal with the problem. But they, none of them actually have a really good answer for that. Because as soon as they give an answer, they leave psychology and they become a religion. See? And uh, Tim Keller makes this point over and over again. And the reason why the therapeutic... Uh, practices that try to help people are so ineffective because the success rate is less than 30%. I don't know if a lot of people know that is that when you go and see a therapist or a counselor or whatever, only about 30% of the people actually say, Hey, I'm fine and doing good. You know, um, after their treatment, after their treatments. And the reason why it's so low is because, you know, it's like, well, we don't want to get into religion, but as soon as you give people an answer to how to, to absolve their guilt, well, now you're in uh, you're making a religious statement. So anyway, th that's what's going on. So what Paul is saying is this, and this is why I think it's so critical to understand that the way you find healing and wholeness and you become a happy person is by building your confidence. And the only way to build your confidence is to resolve and heal the mistakes of the past. Right. Otherwise, they will influence you like never before. And so. What's really interesting, it's only when we discover our identity in Jesus Christ, it's only when we build our identity in Jesus Christ, as Paul says over and over again in this passage, where we ultimately discover how to forget what lies behind. You see, that, that's what's so interesting because the uh, extremes are so easily to fall into. You know, one extreme is I can't forget it. I can't let go of it. I can't forgive myself. It's so terrible, so terrible, so terrible. And underneath that, if you really dig down, what you find is a person who's trying to force themselves to pay penance because they feel if I pay the price, then maybe I'll feel better. Right. But you can't pay the price for your past sins. It never works. Okay. But then you have the other person on the other extreme, on the other side, who is like, I don't care who I hurt or I don't care what I did or I don't care about my mistakes. They're so 
self-oriented, people call this narcissism, that what other people think and feel are irrelevant because they, they are so in denial that their behavior has any impact even on themselves, right? Right. And so uh, this is another reason why people fall into addictions. Addictions have a lot to do with shame, right? And you can't get rid of it and deal with it. So you turn to some type, you try to medicate your pain. So this is at the root of so many addictive behaviors. I mean, I could just go on and on and on how the world doesn't solve the problem, but Christianity, Jesus Christ does, because on the one hand, it says, you know, you aren't in your identity. You aren't bad. Okay. In your identity, at your core identity, you're created in the image of God that you are loved by God. And so God has a passion for you. But at the same time, you do evil things and you do bad things and you do sin things. And a lot of what you think you're building your identity around is actually a sin thing because it you're not willing to let it go in order to reach fully towards Christ, you know. And so on Thursday, we're going to talk about this because right now there is a huge debate going on in American society about the LGBTQ plus thing. Right. And what people don't realize is that at its very core, some of the things I've been talking about in the past, and that is the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory, postmodernism, deconstructionism. All of these things are an attempt to redefine what it means to be a human being. Okay, and once you redefine what it means to be a human being, then you see where all of this stuff comes from. And so we're going to talk about that on Thursday. Well, and I think I love the part that it's Paul that's saying this. Like he came with some of his own big mistakes in the past during his time as Saul, you know, but before his transformation. And so it's like he's saying, I found my true joy by letting go of these mistakes. I know they were mistakes. I did these Mm -hmm. things. And that's Mm -hmm. how he found joy. And so I find it really powerful that he's sharing that insight because it's like sometimes you look at people that seem to have it all the way together and they're like well they could have never made mistakes as bad as mine and paul's going (laughs) yeah i am truly happy and i did some things and so i think it's really powerful that he's sharing that um so are there any final takeaways you want to give us before we we sign off for the day well i'm just excited about all of these things and i I really think you need to Uh, jump into the notion that when you focus on your identity and who you are in Christ, that's where ultimately your confidence for all of life can come from. So I just want to encourage each and every one of you listening today to take the step to just evaluate and really think and ask God a simple question. When you talk to him, say, Jesus, you know, what am I putting my identity in? And on Thursday, I really encourage you to come back because we're going to talk about some really significant things that I think a lot of people who do what I do are afraid to talk about. So we're going to jump in and talk about them because we're pretty salty. The salty pastor is ready to go at it. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you joining us every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, Make sure you're sharing these. um, Subscribe if you're not. And just really bless somebody with this stuff. We're talking about things that are really inherent to who we are these days. Um, what our culture has told us we are. And I think if you share this with somebody who's really struggling, they're going to find even people that don't seem like they're struggling because we all have our own hurts. I think if you share this with people, you're going to find a great, great response Mm. to what they're going to get out of Mm -hmm. this. So thank you guys so much. And we will see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor. Blessings, everyone.